Be careful what you wish for. You might just get what you want. You've probably heard that saying before. It's true with lots of things in life. It's true with money. If you wish for a lot of money and you end up with a lot of money, sometimes all that money can actually cause you more problems, maybe on your taxes, maybe in other ways than you expected. You thought it would make everything easier, but actually it makes things harder. You have to write new wills and have to figure out how to invest things that you didn't have to worry about before. It's true with things like fame. You might want to be more popular. You might want a certain kind of attention from people at a certain time in your life at least. But then if you get it, it can cause all sorts of attention, not just to the things that you thought you wanted, like your successes, but also attention to things that you didn't want attention drawn to, your dark secrets, your failures, skeletons in your closet, things like that. Be careful what you wish for. You might just get what you want. It was also true for the people in Israel. After disregarding many judges that the Lord had sent them, after failing to regard Moses and Joshua, who the Lord had sent them, the people of Israel thought that they should be like the nations around them. They thought that if they were going to fight against the pagan nations around them, if they were going to be successful like the nations around them, if they were going to have the wealth and the fame like the nations around them, then they should also have a king. They were one of the places without a monarchy, one of the few places in that time, in that place without a monarchy. And they wanted to be like the other places. They wanted a king, and so the Lord gave them what they wanted. The Lord gave them Saul. But if you remember the story of Saul... They should have been careful what they wished for, because when they got what they wanted, it brought with it troubles. Saul became prideful, as a king is wont to do. Saul fell into temptations. Saul fell into paganism, unsurprisingly, because it was wanting to be like the pagan nations that got them a king in the first place. And so, like money, like fame, like so many things in life, they should have been careful what they wished for. And Samuel, who was faithful, Samuel, one of the Lord's faithful in this time, was grieved over this. The Lord, in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 16, asks him, How long will you grieve over Saul? Samuel did not see in his own earthly wisdom, another way out of the situation. Now they were stuck with a king, not a king they wanted, but a king nonetheless. It was the Lord in his wisdom who had to direct Samuel to go and to find another king. Take the horn, fill it with oil, and go and anoint the one whom I myself will choose before you. The Lord would provide a king. Samuel could not see it right away. This is true for us, too. We are not that much different than Israel. Not that much different in wanting to be like people around us. That is a natural human instinct. To be accepted by the people around you. 
and doing that by being like the people around you. And we could even go as far to say that we want kings. We want people in our lives who can lead us powerfully, who can make hard decisions when things get tough, who can be for us leaders and not only leaders, but examples for us. That's one of the ways that Israel wanted a king. They wanted a strong, powerful leader, a strong, powerful example, someone to make the tough decisions. And we are not that different. That is a good, in some ways, and natural human instinct. Unfortunately, our human instincts are corrupted by sin. And so we can look for people who will be kings for us. Yes, in some ways, literal kings, politicians. This is why people even care about politics, because it does affect their lives, who the leader of your nation, who the leader of your state, who the leader of your town will be. That matters to people. It matters to their lives. But not only kings in that sense, but also kings of the house, good fathers, kings in the life, good mentors, kings in the church, good pastors. We long for these things. We want these things. And that can all be good. That can all be great. God gives us these people in our lives. He gives us ordered relationships, leaders, kings in our lives, and that can be wonderful. It can be wonderful, especially if those kings of all various kinds follow Psalm 2's advice and kiss the Son, worship Jesus Christ, lest he be angry. If our kings are like those kings who kiss the Son, things are great. However, unfortunately, there are many kings who, like earlier in Psalm 2, plot against the Lord and plot against his anointed. Because we are corrupt by sin, and because even kings are corrupt by sin, things can go in our lives with our kings utterly wrong, like it did with Saul. We can allow ourselves, and kings can allow themselves, to be influenced and to influence others, not to follow the kingdom of Christ alone, not to bow to the one true king, who we'll talk about in a moment, but to building a kingdom of their own wants, of their own sinful desires. And you can see how Samuel struggles with this in his life. Whenever he is told by the Lord, I will prepare a king for you, go anoint my king whom I'm going to prepare for you, he still struggles to accept this fully. He is worried about the current king, King Saul. He says, what if he finds out about this, which would be some kind of kingdom coup? And what if he kills me? And are we so different? We have often, I'm sure you have, in some ways, experienced this, the fear of a king in your life that you should not have had to experience. A fear based not out of God's own wrath or God's own commands, but out of the commands of man. 
Maybe it's not, what if he kills me? Maybe you haven't suffered that kind of persecution. But maybe it would be something today like, what if he fires me? What if I get fired for not using the right pronouns nowadays? What if I get fired? Should I be so bold? Or it could also be if we make other kings for ourselves, maybe not out of our bosses or our mentors or our fathers, but maybe we make kings for ourselves out of people like social media influencers or certain kinds of celebrities or authors. It kind of depends on who you are and what you follow, what that king, those kings, queens may be for you. But we can ask ourselves also, out of a certain kind of fear or a certain kind of status that they have, like Samuel did of Saul, what if he kills me? We can think these kinds of thoughts as well. Well, if those activities or if those trends are being promoted by insert your favorite celebrity or social media personality or author, whoever it is here, if those activities, if those trends, if they're into it, It can't really be so bad, can it? Maybe it's okay for me to experiment a little bit with this or with that thing, which may not be for the good of Christ's kingdom. Maybe it's only good for someone's earthly kingdom. But we can be tempted in these ways. So it could be out of fear or out of status that we make for ourselves these false kings. It can also be out of And you can see Samuel struggling with this as well, just pure external factors. Whenever he does go to find a new king for Israel, he automatically thinks his kind of nature is to look at the stature of the men who are put before him. He looks on Eliab and says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Eliab must have been a little bit taller than me. He was probably very good looking. Maybe his beard was nicer than mine for the oil to run down on. Regardless, whenever Samuel looked at Eliab, he thought, this is the Lord's anointed. And the Lord said to him, do not look on the height of his stature. Do not look on some external factor. For man sees not as, for the Lord sees not as man sees, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We are prone to look at external factors when we want to make for ourselves any kind of king. We might look to someone's fame, as we talked about. We might look to someone's money or wealth, as we also talked about. And I wouldn't even put it past us if you watch commercials or look at posters and the clothing sections of stores to consider making for ourselves kings out of things like good physiques, just like Samuel was prone to do. We can make for ourselves all sorts of kings in this earth. We can make for ourselves all sorts of kings who we would want to follow, who we would want to make decisions for us, who we would want to be examples in our lives. It is easy to make for ourselves all sorts of kings. Now, one point of clarification 
is that having admirable external factors for people to follow is not a sin in and of itself. It is not evil in and of itself. In fact, I think it is important to clarify, especially today, with things like the body positivity movement. If you've heard of that, if you haven't, don't worry about it. Don't look it up. It's not worth your time. But people are taught to be proud of basically their unhealthiness. It is important to note that as we find out later in the story, that David actually was handsome and attractive He was ruddy and had beautiful eyes. The point that is made, however, by the Lord is that that is not what made him a good king. He was actually an attractive young man, but that's not what made him the one who was chosen. In fact, Samuel did not even get to see him because he was out tending the sheep before he was chosen as king. What made him a good king is the very fact that he was not chosen by sinful man. He was chosen by the Lord. And so we can make for ourselves all sorts of kings in this life, and it's not always bad. It is good to see your father, especially a good Christian father, as a king of sorts. It is good to see mentors, especially good Christian mentors, as a king of sorts. It is good to find for yourselves examples in the faith who will be kings in your life. But there is one king who is worth knowing above all. And that is the one that the Lord himself provides. I hope when you read this story in 1 Samuel 16 that you cannot help but to see Jesus Christ himself. Whenever the Lord says this, I myself will provide for you a king from the sons of Jesse, he is not only talking about the literal son of Jesse. He's also talking about one of Jesse's great, 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 so many times great grandsons, Jesus Christ himself, the root of Jesse. And when he says that he is going to anoint someone, king, the word anointing there is the same word by which we get the word Messiah, the anointed one. And not the anointed one, David, but David's son and also David's Lord, Jesus Christ. And when he says for Samuel, go to Bethlehem to find this king, he's not only talking about Jesse the Bethlehemite, but he's talking about going to Bethlehem to the place where the anointed one, Jesus, will be born. There is one king, one true king that the Lord himself will provide. Even before Israel thought about wanting a king, even before Israel thought that they should be like other places and have a king, the Lord himself had in mind a king for the people for all time. For all time from before creation to all time after the restored creation, there was a king that the Lord had in mind, and it was his son, also the son of Jesse, also the son of David. And just like David, he comes not in some glorious outward appearance. He comes not like Saul, coming in fear and in wrath, threatening to kill people. 
if they would overthrow his kingdom. And he comes not like Eliab either, in some magnificent outward stature, with some external factors that we would think are absolutely glorious. Instead, he comes as a little baby, as a little baby born in a feeding trough in the little town of Bethlehem so many thousands of years later. He comes humbly. And as humbly as he comes, he comes, he says this himself, not to be served like the kings of this world so often want to be served, to get the likes, to get the comments, to get the kingship status for themselves, however that looks, so that they can have control and power over other people. He comes not to be served, but he comes to serve. And the way he comes to serve is not like the kings that Israel wanted for themselves, who would be absolutely powerful, absolutely wonderful decision makers in every way, but he comes with something even greater. He comes in love. That's why we read 1 Corinthians 13 this morning. Love is patient, love is kind. You know the reading if you've ever been to a wedding any time in the last 20 years or so, I imagine. Because Jesus is the embodiment of that kind of love. That's what he comes with. He comes to bear with you as love does in all things. Unlike Saul, he doesn't try and harm you. He doesn't throw spears at his servants like Saul did at David one time. He doesn't come as some wicked politician or wicked boss who would threaten you with threats, but he comes to forgive your sins. He comes and he picks you up whenever you are struggling. He does not resent you like kings of this earth often do, but he comes with kindness. His love is kind. And he doesn't teach you falsely or lead you astray with his influence and with his power. But he comes and he rejoices in the truth. That's what love does. It rejoices in the truth and it walks with you all the way. It bears all things and believes all things and is with you till the very end. That is what the love of your king, Jesus Christ, does. And so finally, I'll leave you with this. When you read this passage, I hope you cannot help but think of Jesus also in this way. Is that he, like David, is the good shepherd. The reason that they could not find David to anoint him on that day is because he was doing what Jesus also comes and does. He tends his sheep. Most kings of this earth think of the people who are under them as lowly peasants. But Jesus does not think of the people under him as lowly peasants. He thinks of them as his precious sheep, as people he does not want to command or control, but as people that he wants to feed, to give water to, to bless That is how he thinks of you, his sheep. And so as much as he is a king, the son of David, he is also the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd who saw 
you sitting blind on the side of the road, lost in your sin, not knowing where to go or what to do. And when you cried out to him all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. He heard you above the noise of the crowds and he came and he found you and he healed you and he blessed you and he forgave your sins. He is the good shepherd who comes and he says, let us go now to Jerusalem to fulfill what the prophets have spoken. This good shepherd, this good king, he will die. He will give up his life for you, for all of your sins, for every single one of them. And he will be raised again to give that new life to all who would hear and believe. And he is the good king who will come again to put all earthly kings under his authority, that every knee might bow and every tongue confess that he is the Lord and he is the king. And so today, let us proclaim him king. Let him be the king in your life and as the king, also your good shepherd. Let us do as that wonderful hymn says and crown him Lord of all, Lord of all of your life, Every moment of it, every aspect of it, he is your good king. To him be all the honor and glory now and forever. Amen. Let us stand and sing the offertory together.